Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's splash into the news. First up, Elixir 115.1 and point two are both out. Point two came quickly after point one with a quick little fix for Windows and 1.15.1 just has a handful of fixes, some to the logger module, some to IEX, some to doc test, some to compiling, some to releases, just a handful of stuff to fix. So check that out if you're on 15 already. All right. Also in the news is Elixir's type system has moved out of the quote research phase into the development phase. Da, 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 da. I think a lot of folks are going to be Pretty excited about that. So what does that mean? They have a blog post to it. So you can go read the blog post to get more details. But the the short version is uh, there's still like ongoing research, but the the focus now is going to be development. They're actually going to start implementing some things. So they're going to incorporate a type system into the language used at scale, you know, but that can be a daunting task. So their concerns range from how the community will interact and use the type system and also how it will perform on large code bases, which if I had to guess, type systems and large code bases typically go hand in hand. So therefore, our plan is to gradually introduce a gradual <laughs> gradual type system into the Elixir compiler. There's, there's a joke in there. So a big point of the next three phases of work is that they designed it in chunks that can be implemented and deployed. And if they are unhappy with those results, they can eject, they can abort, abort, Abort for at different points, which is pretty nice, right? And I think that they're setting expectations pretty well at this point, too. Like, they're still treating this like it's a maybe. It's a careful and thoughtful approach to what many would consider as a significant change. So, yeah, they're giving themselves a lot of escape hatches. So I really appreciate that. And I'm kind of excited to see what this is going to look like. They've reserved the dollar sign as a unique character in, in the compiler, and it's not been used so far. And so I think they're going to start using that dollar sign to introduce syntax for this new type system. So I'm curious what that's going to look like. We're all going to be curious. And Jose will be talking more about the Elixir work around types in his ElixirConf US 2023 keynote talk. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, it's looking pretty interesting. We'll see what, what happens there. Yeah, Jose also was talking on Twitter about some of his hopes and dreams for Elixir 1.16. I don't know about you guys, but Elixir generally has pretty good docs, but he's already talking about how he's planning to focus on docs for 1.16. He said he wants to incorporate some more guides into the language docs, incorporate some code smells or some anti-patterns. He wants to have some more sections on process patterns and talk about how fault tolerance and currency might look. So really interesting stuff. I feel like docs are pretty good, but you know, we could always use more examples and code from Jose himself to teach us the ways. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I first read this, I was thinking this was about like as an ecosystem thing, planning on focusing on docs, but no, I think this is just about like Elixir's docs, like itself, just the Elixir docs, not hex docs or something. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Process patterns would be good because yeah, there's, there's some assumptions in there. Well, there's a new NX-focused text package by Greg Woodward called Integrator. Flashback to high school integration functions. All right. The tool would help Octave and Matlib users now use Elixir and NX as a solver for ordinary differential uh, equations. 
oh, so was I actually pretty close on that? <laughs> is that these kinds of problems? I don't know. It is inspired by ODE 45 and ODE 23 routines from Octave and MATLAB with the potential of compiling them to the GPU. I'm going to admit, I have no idea what those mean. So if you are from those communities and have an idea what that is, I would love to get some context on what this implies. But this sounds like a pretty cool thing. The project also has some pretty good docs. It includes five live book guides showing us how to use it and visualize the solutions. Just looking at that, I was pretty excited about like, yeah, what <laughs> what this library is going to do. And because anytime you can like illustrate what this does, that's always a win. Greg Woodward and contributors, I presume, have done a good job with that so far. Yeah, speaking of libraries, Andrea Leopardi has released V2.0.0 of Corsica, which is a library for handling cores requests. He tweeted about it, saying that it's unlikely that you'll have a hard time updating since the breaking changes are minor. But it feels good to have a 2.0, right? That seems nice. The big change in there is telemetry events too, right? I think that's the big deal with 2.0. Yeah, 2.0 feels good. 1.0 is like, feels right. Yeah. Like we should have 1.0 and I think other libraries are are getting there. There was like a movement like nine months ago to, to make things 1.0. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. So he he pointed out that it's most, it has telemetry events and then it's also overhaul documentation. So 2.0 is like becoming a big boy, I guess. It's like, <laughs> it's a serious business now. <laughs> serious business. Get your serious business hat. All right. Speaking of serious business, Brom Verberg pointed out that if your AWS RDS database connections fail after upgrading to OTB 26, it's probably due to a SSL certificate validation. So we have a couple of links to that that explain it in more detail. But the too long didn't read version is that there is a hex package now called AWS RDS CA store that houses a couple of extra certificates that AWS uses. And you probably want to use that with your repo. When you're configuring your repo, there's an option for passing in some SSL ops, pass in this library CA store so it can find certificates. And this will eliminate some warning messages about how Ecto couldn't verify SSL certificate or something like that. That's pretty annoying. I actually, I noticed that with like, I use Postico <laughs> and sometimes I use Postico to go, go connect to some staging database. Yeah, I get that every time. Like, it's like, I can't verify this certificate. And I just hit continue because I, I, I live on the dangerous side, I guess. Yeah, this is fine. Who needs certificates? <laughs> it's staging. But yeah, this explains it a little bit. So apparently AWS just has their own certificates that they've released and you're just supposed to go collect them. And that's how you verify. That's what this is all about. Yeah, another library update, image 0.35.0 has been released. And so image is that libvips-based library for generating and manipulating libraries. And so there's a handful of things in here, a couple of things like image.normalize or auto level been removed, but there's some cool new added functionality like equalize, contrast, sharpen, modulate, range, reduce noise, a handful of stuff. It's pretty cool. If you're working with images, this is kind of this is kind of a handy library to have. And fun. It has its own meme function in there. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> meme. <laughs> All right. Next up, Zig Docs was released. If you listen to our podcast, you probably heard of Isaac Yonemoto. He does a lot of work with Zig. He makes Ziggler. Ziggler is this library that helps integrate your Zig code into your Elixir code legitimately you, you could just like write like a like a here doc of zig code and and ziggler will take care of like compiling that and creating the hooks for your erlang and elixir code to call that 
So it's pretty nifty. Okay, well, that's not what I'm talking about. Ziggler, it's, 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 this is about ZigDocs. And so now he's released a library that incorporates ZigDocs into your Elixir docs. That's that's pretty interesting. This all turns out to be, all this whole collection of Zig-oriented libraries that, that Isaac has been working on seems to be a really nice, like, Rustler-like integration, and maybe even better than Rustler. I, I'm not sure. Just, just looking at it, it's pretty fantastic. And last up, Yet another library update. I'm here to bring you all the library updates. If you're a fan of OpenPro, you might be happy to know that OpenPro v1.0 has been released. And it says, absolutely no features or bug fixes, purely deprecation cleanup and renaming the engine. So if you're going to upgrade here, you're going to have to abandon the old way that you did structured workers by passing in a keyword list and you now have to use their args schema which is a newer feature and then you will have to rename your smart engine from q.smartengine to engines.smart which is just a one line change that's easy so exciting to see open i'm a huge fan of open i would recommend it to anyone it powers a lot of what my products do at least congratulations to them hitting 1.0 it's great stuff all right yeah that's it for the news Elixir and Phoenix are incredible. They make it possible to quickly build highly resilient and reliable systems capable of operating at incredible scale. Fly.io is a great place to host Elixir apps. You can deploy your app to multiple regions around the world with a private network linking them all together so your app can cluster and globally do some incredible Phoenix magic. Give your users a more responsive UI while writing less code and moving the app closer to your users without needing an ops team. Check out fly.io for your next Elixir app. Today we're doing a little something different. David and I wanted to have a little discussion. And partly what it comes down to is, I'm going to be on vacation next week, so I'm not going to be able to be part of that. And then Cade couldn't be here this week for this one. So this is going to be a little bit funny if it all works out and all comes out the way we're hoping, that the news will be done by David and Cade, and then David... And me are going to have the discussion, so it'll be a little mishmash, but <laughs> it'll <laughs> hopefully work out. it all works out. Yes. It'll be okay. You know, we we talk before and after the show, and just talking about like what's the latest with you. I wanted to have a discussion about some of the fun things that I've been exploring and playing with, and just also, you know, we can get a chance to have David talk about some of the stuff that he's exploring and interested in. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll skip all the unfun things, all the therapy sessions that we have uh, <laughs> pre and post show. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's some there's some interesting things, you know, on our plates. I, I know that like AI has been dominant in the news a lot. You know, you hear it on the on the news segments a lot. I'm a, a late adopter. I'm not even adopter yet, I don't <laughs> think. I've just been I've just been observing with pessimism so far. <laughs> but but I know that there's like a lot of cool things that are happening there. And I I used chat GPT for the first time, like of my own use, for of my own thought, of my own volition. Uh, just last week, and it was not bad. It was uh, definitely like wrong, but it was a partner to explore with. So, but I'm, but I'm not here to talk about my my dealings in AI. What are you doing, Mark, with AI? You, yeah, you, you've been in it a little bit more than me. Yeah, well, I've been playing with it. Like I've been using ChatGPT, and then I wrote my own client to talk to ChatGPT for me because I wanted it to like store everything in a SQLite database that I could do my own stuff with. And, uh, and then, so I had to learn how to do streaming the responses back. And so like, all of this stuff, I thought, oh, this will be fun to talk about. 
you know, write blog posts and stuff about. But then really, I got really deeper into something called Langchain. Okay, I've, I've heard of this. What the heck is Langchain? And why is there so much money involved here? Yeah, the crazy thing is, is this is an open source project. And then they announced a $10 million seed round in, I think it was April. And it's like, really? You're, you're getting $10 million for an open source project? I don't get that. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's going on there? I'll, I'll make an open source project. Who wants to like fund that, right? <laughs> Even a million dollars, a discount. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so right now, there's two different versions of Langchain. There's like a JavaScript one and a Python one. And they've really kind of diverged a little bit. There, there's a lot of similarity, but there's there's some differences. But really, like the way they talk about Langchain is it like, if you go to the web, the website, it says Langchain is a framework for developing applications powered by language models. And we believe the most powerful and differentiated applications will not only call out to a language model via an API, but also be data aware, which means connect a language model to other sources of data and be agentic. It's a new made up word where they say it's going to act like an agent. So it allows the model to interact with its environment. Agentic. Mm. I know. It's so dumb. <laughs> but hey, that, that gets you $10 million, right? <laughs> if you can make up a new term, <laughs> at least convincingly. I guess we missed our opportunity. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, so anyway, really, I see, I've seen the most excitement and adoption from it in the JavaScript community. And what they're doing is you'll see examples like this where someone will create an agent or a service that they can talk to. It's doing like whisper model where it's speech to text, turns my spoken language into text. And then it takes that and it's interacting with a language model like chat GPT or Bard or one of the others. And with that though, it's doing some arrangement and preconditioning of the LLM to say, this is how I want you to react or what I want your responses to be oriented around or what we're trying to do. And, and it's like, they're, they're kind of conditioning the LLM to say, this is how you're supposed to interpret what the user is saying. Wait, wait. So Lang, Langchain is like a framework for prompt engineering? Like it does that for you? So, okay, that's a good question. I should back up. It's a framework that ties together a whole bunch of different things. That's all it is, really. <laughs> okay. So like, what I mean is, I went through some tutorials, right? And some JavaScript ones. I was like setting up different free tier demo accounts on like five different services to do all these different little pieces of this pie, right? And like one was SERP API. Like it's a little API for talking to Google, right? Okay. It's like, well, I can talk to Google myself, but this does it in a, where they actually wrap up all of the, how do I present my re request and parsing my responses into something that's very meaningful and easy for me. And then Langchain has a written code that actually does that communication for me and actually interprets the responses for me, mm. right? So it's like just, it's just glue, right? All Langchain is is glue to a whole bunch of different services. Okay. It does a, a little bit more around LLM stuff, but it's, it's interesting. So let me walk through an example, right? I'm talking to my phone and I have like a service or app running on my phone, right? And I say, hey, can you check my email for anything that's important? And then the agent talks back to me and says, yeah, I'm, here's what I found in your email and reads off two different emails. And then I can say, tell me more about the one where they're asking for a status update. 
then it will summarize that and speak it out to me. And then I can say, oh, write them to let them know I'm almost done with it and I'll be in touch with them soon. Okay. And then it says, okay, I've written an email and sent that off for you. You, You've described Google Assistant so far. Right. But it's like I'm writing it myself. Okay. And I can have it do other things. It's like being able to write your own Google Assistant, right? Hmm. What you're doing just with that little example is you have a whisper model being pulled in there that does speech to text. There's an agent in there and an agent is where they talk that it's agentic, right? And that just means that it can interact with its environment. So you have your own app and in that app, you can expose tools to the LLM. So you can say you have the ability to to interact with a Gmail email account and you have to read emails and write emails that you're telling ChatGPT, you have access to do these functions and you can do a Google search and you can do calculator functions and you can do these, whatever functions you want to expose to ChatGPT, right? Okay, so I am composing LLMs together and these these integrations together to, to it. Yes. Okay, obviously the LLM doesn't know what all those things are. It's just a large language model of weighted values and junk, right? But Langchain is the framework around that to like leverage those models and plug these things in together. That's the glue part. Yeah, yeah. So it like I can define in Langchain to say I have a tool called a calculator and it's good for doing basic mathematics, right? ChatGPT is not great at doing math. Ironic, it's a computer, right? But it's it's more oriented around text. <laughs> I guess there's a lot of bad math out there that it learned the incorrect (laughs) answers, huh? Yeah. So what happens is, is your app tells ChatGPT, you have access to these other functions, like a calculator, and it describes to ChatGPT what it can use these functions for and how to call them, how to provide data to them. Now, what's interesting is ChatGPT can't actually reach out and talk to your app so what it's doing is it's, it's, this is like total hack, right? This is a nastiest kludge when I figured out what it was that they're actually doing. <laughs> it's like you're having a private conversation. Your app is having a private conversation with ChatGPT and saying, I want you to do these things. Here are the tools available to you. And then ChatGPT is writing back and saying, oh, I would like to call this function. And here are the arguments for it. And so the way they've done this in the past is they've had to tell ChatGPT how to structure its request as a JSON schema. Right. So that they could then parse it out. Yeah. So then they're parsing it out and then they will do in their own app, right? In your app, you'll actually implement the function. So that could be done by calling out to a library that they've pulled in. You know, you're with Langchain, they're providing all these different libraries that are built in tools, right? So you don't have to write those tools. Okay. But you could write your own tools to say, this is my app and this is what I want to expose from my app that it can interact with. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then you're sending back in this little private conversation with ChatGPT, like, here's the response. And then it says, okay, now I have all the data I need. I'm going to give you your full answer, right? So you're hiding all of that from the user. And it, Langchain helps you do all of that. <laughs> helps you have it interact with these services that have to go through your app. Some of them are provided by Langchain. Some of them you could do by your own app. And then hide all of that from the user, it's basically letting ChatGPT be the business logic that pulls all these different pieces together and decide when to take different actions. Does that make sense at all? <laughs> I I, th- I think so. I, I would love to see what this looks like in 
like elixir land what would this look like in elixir land to help me pull together like what what this would look like to use because this is this is essentially a bunch of glue to make a developer like me not have to understand the intricacies of each of those models and all the formatting requirements of each of them that i would instead work with some i'm going to equate this to like phoenix right phoenix is the easier api for me to integrate into and to declare like my my needs through right so link chain is like phoenix i guess but for ai it's all that glue work of getting things to talk to each other and like know you know what's going on and what's available and all that kind of stuff am i getting close <laughs> yeah i guess like as i'm actually talking this out i realized really what chat gpt is doing right it is the business logic that's interpreting user input and deciding when to take action and what actions to take from what you've given it access to. Mm-hmm. Right, so like, really, that's what it's doing. Rather than you telling the user, oh, if you want to use this certain feature, go over here, navigate there, navigate there, click this, input this data, and then you'll get your answer. Instead of that, you're letting the user talk to it. And it figures out what the user wants. It makes the request. And then it takes that response and bundles it up and presents it to the user in like, it can even do it verbally, right? Like if you're hooking into something that can speak. So it's just, it's like an alternate interface. So, so bringing this back to you, what, what are, so you're looking into a lot of this stuff. What are you doing with it? Well, I saw what people were doing with Langchain and I was like, wow, that is really impressive that you're having people who really, I mean, like they even have now like GUIs that are not even writing code. They're codeless <laughs> GUIs where you're just like dragging and dropping lines to connect boxes and hook up these services. And then you just talk to chat GPT through a little terminal and then you can ship an app. Whoa. <laughs> it's like you're getting people doing this kind of stuff, right? And I'm like, wow, this is scary because there are whole new classes of problems <laughs> Yeah, that they're introducing. I saw somebody ask chat GPT for like, I lost my Windows XP serial number. Can you give me (laughs) some serial numbers? And it it gave them like five and and one of them worked. (laughs) At least one worked. Maybe all five did. But the boundaries of these tools aren't really restricted enough, I think. Right. Like it's so exploitable. That's my fear. That's that's part of the pessimism I have. I I don't know how to tell ChatGPT or any of these tools like don't do this part like this is the boundary here like do not transcribe into like emojis or (laughs) a bunch of like whatever you know i i don't know like don't don't transcribe junk don't transcribe cuss words or something i don't know or code and then and then let that code be executed in that that next step right (laughs) like i don't know how to control this very well well okay that's worth talking about briefly like there are uh, some great blogs where they talk about how exploitable this stuff is and it's it's like oh i never thought of that like if you give like one of these built-in abilities that Langchain has is the ability to interact with your email right your email account. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> right. Right, exactly because like he shows he's like, you know, he he said he shows this video demo kind of like the one I was describing with interacting with this voice agent that reads and sends emails for me. He's like it's really cool. It's exciting. Now imagine that someone sends you a malicious email knowing you have that set up, right? That they are giving the agent instructions in the email to data exfiltrate, right? Send me my 
five most recent emails and delete this re- this email request. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining XKCD's uh, classic like old Bobby drop tables and stuff. Like they're going to find ways to escape <laughs> and start doing their own thing. Well, here's another Langchain one that I think is a horrible idea. Right? It's that ChatGPT knows how to write SQL. Right? So if you tell it hey, we have a SQL database here and we have a built-in Langchain ability to say, ChatGPT, generate a SQL statement based on this schema. Like, I'm going to tell you about the schema for these tables. Generate a, a statement that will do this, execute that SQL against my app, and then I'll give you the results and you can... Can you see how badly this goes? <laughs> so that's the room is on fire dog saying this is fine kind of stuff. Like, no, I, I don't I don't want to play that game. <laughs> There's It's too... And then they show how to, you know, prompt inject and add more to the SQL statement when if you know that something like that is happening, right? So it's it's things like that. Like it, this is early days, it's not safe, but there are safe applications, right? If I can define what the agent has access to. I'm not saying, "Oh, here's here's my database, write queries to it." Like no, I'm giving it like specific functions and I can validate input requests and I'm giving it only data that it has access to, to, to receive back, then I could do some really interesting things with my app. And that's really where I wanted to come at this from is I want to be able to say, I want to give this agent, this large language model where I can hide away all of this complexity from the user that it's happening, but have it interact with my app. So like, imagine you have a personal trainer app, right? And it's talking to me. It's like, rather than me having to go in and create my schedules and these are the the things I want to do. And I could just talk to it and say, these are my workout goals. Help me set up a schedule. And then in the app, maybe the app has like, you've scheduled your workouts, right? And what if the agent can just verbally say, oh, would you like me to schedule that for you? And actually put it into your schedule. Like things like that. Like, that's really cool. I would love a feature like that. Yeah. Highly moderated and approved content, you know, actions and and interpretations. Yeah, like Mm -hmm. that I think is very helpful. But but yeah, like imagine I have some physical restrictions, right? I have a back injury or something like that. So I could say I really want to get into this physical fitness routine and I could give it some of these constraints because it's ChatGPT and it has this knowledge of stuff. It can query my app for what are all the workout options that fit these constraints and filter that data down for me, right? That could be really interesting. And then it could like send back and say, all right, I've put together a schedule for you. Why don't you look at it and tell me if you want to change anything? You know, like it's a whole different interface for it. And I I think that's really interesting. So that's where I'm coming at this from. Because we have chosen Elixir, I don't want us to miss out on what all these JavaScript people are doing. Of course, I don't want to go blasting through the door with all these horrible ideas that I see (laughs) that they're doing too. But I think, you know, if I can do that with Elixir, because, you know, if you think about it, Elixir would be a really good tool for this with processes and concurrency and agents, you know, like agents like that. We have that concept built into Elixir. Yeah. Yeah. Is Elixir very agentic? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It is a gem. That's <laughs> okay, right. Okay. So it's it. worth $10 million right there. So someone should be funding the Elixir project. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's where it's coming from. And then I did, just in case someone, you know, says, hey, did you know that there is a Langchain EX library out there? 
I did. I, I found that. What's interesting is that library says it was loosely inspired by Langchain, and it does do some interesting things that were an inspiration for me and how I might accomplish different goals. But it has a, a very different way of doing the process model, and I just don't want to do it that way, right? So I'm not actually looking to build on that library. So I told you how it's like a super nasty kludge, right? The way you can have chat GPT kind of call a function, like air quotes, call a function, because it can actually execute code. Has that been fixed now? Didn't they just announce that they have a new way of getting that? Yes, they do. And so that came out in June, where they actually made a formal way of expressing functions that are available to the chat GPT interface. And then ways to define, using a JSON schema, ways to define the parameters that it can call, and then it can call those. And so that's what I've been playing with, is having it call functions that I'm implementing in Elixir to see, can I make it talk to my app in a way where I can give it back meaningful data, and it can request it when it's appropriate, and what can I do with that, right? Like, that's that's where I'm at right now, and I think it's just really fun. Nice. Total uh, ignorance to... The, the intricacies and like the details of getting all this stuff to working together. But I am wondering what a plug like framework would look like for gluing these kinds of services together. And and I just go to plug for, you know, for most of like how I should architect something, because I feel like that's a good, simple example of how to architect like a request response workflow, which is probably too simple for this scenario. But I, yeah, I wonder what that would look like to, you know, build that request and oh, to program, uh, I, I would have to be through, you know, some DSL, I, I reckon, have some DSL to like allow it to configure branching code. I'm like, well, if I get this kind of response, you know, go, go from here to, to here, to here, to there. But yeah, like, I wonder what that would look like. And I, and I guess I don't know what Langchain X, you know, is like, I, I don't really see that going on. There. I don't I don't know what ideas that you have, but but developing with plug and you know Phoenix on top of that, for example, or other token struct kind of frameworks. Plug, you know, con is just a token struct that gets transformed through its life cycle. Phoenix is just leveraging that. Ecto does the same kind of thing with like chain sets, right? I, I wonder what that would look like for lang chain-y kind of stuff. It's interesting because the way you do these interactions with ChatGPT is through a conversation, which is just a series of messages. One of the things that LangChain does is it's trying to kind of do that. I think of it like pipe, right? It's like just trying to pipe a whole bunch of functions together. And that's what they call the chain, right? So you can chain a bunch of these operations or configuration together. So, oh, well, that sounds perfect for like a plug-like architecture then. Yeah. <laughs> but really it's all, I don't, I don't know if that, I'd have to think more about that to see what would that actually feel like? Because like really a lot of it is just comes down to when it's an agent kind of thing, it's this back and forth conversation where I'm giving it an initial prompt and I'm using a prompt template to bring in my prompt with the user's request. I'm kind of shoveling that into this in templating that into turning it into the final prompt that ChatGPT sees. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to talk to my app and say, I'd like to call this function. Then I give it back the function result. And then it takes that and continues on and does its own thing. So like it's this back and forth conversation with ChatGPT that the user isn't seeing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that just needs to happen in the gen server. Yeah. 
I don't know. I, I'm st- I'm still pessimistic. I feel like this is the, these are like interfaces over a thing that is not designed to work that way. It is true. <laughs> yeah, that it's it's a conversational model, and so we're like we're going to hide the conversation from from people and use it in a way that's not designed to use. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is kind of interesting. <laughs> it felt like this is the nastiest hack I've ever seen, and I was just laughing as I was figuring out like, oh, that's what they're doing. Is such an abuse. I see. I, I understand better. Yeah. <laughs> but then I then I realized, oh, there is actually some value here. And there are ways of, especially now that they've made it more official, like with support for functions. Well, okay. So that's, but that's chat GPT. Isn't there like other models too that don't have that conversational kind of workflow? Is it like a one, what do they call it? One shot or something? It's Sean mentioned a couple of words. I think one shot kind of models. Yeah. A one shot's where you say just, give me the answer to this and I'm not giving you any examples of what I mean or how I want you to format the response or anything like that. Right. Yeah. So you can do that with Langchain. You can have the conversation with memory and like, really that's like, they, they have this whole big thing like, Ooh, memory. It's like this, we have to, cause it's JavaScript or Python. We have to implement something. It's like, well, that's called a process. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess it I guess it, it helps being in an agentic language, huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess where I'm going with this is I'm wanting to build some samples and maybe blog about this. And I would love for a library like this to exist that does at least what I'm wanting to do initially. <laughs> so maybe I'll create that much. But if you look at Langchain and you go and look and see all the different things that are plugged into it, like they have this whole thing around indexes, right? Where I want to parse a PDF file or a CSV file or a HTML file or a website as all of a way of pulling data in to put into like a vector database and then be able to search that through ChatGPT. Like doing that kind of stuff, it's it's like there's just tons of libraries and like I don't want to take on ownership of all that it could be. Right. (laughs) Of like all the things that it currently is plus more. It's like, no, I don't want that. But I think I I could convince myself that's worth starting. But but that's my hesitation. It's like, this could be big. And I don't want to be in charge of a huge project like that. Okay, so I, I'm I'm hearing a lot of stuff around like adapting a conversational model to not being so conversational, and so there's a lot of like glue work around just like interacting with the model to to remove that conversational bits out of it, so that it's a little bit more straightforward to to work with. Yes, it's, it's basically I want to be able to have a private conversation with it that the users only part of, like they have part of the input for the starting it, and then they get some of the result of it. But there's a private conversation that's happening too. Gotcha. Yeah. The conversational workflow here is like kind of critical to how all of this works and interacts. It is an evolved thing and therefore also unpredictable. But so if you're building a feature that needs that conversational workflow, like a multi-step form, for example, like that's conversational, right? You're kind of like branching on like the data that you're, as you're getting it, this would work pretty well with that. But if you're just trying to upload a file, and you just want to like analyze the file, then you don't need a conversation, you know, there. This is more, more applicable for, I, I, I guess, I, I don't, I'm acting like I know what I'm talking about, but like a one shot kind of, kind of a, a model that analyzes, is that even considered AI stuff anymore? I guess so, where you analyze the, the image and you figure out what's in it and classify it or whatever. 
I see a good opportunity here for Elixir and some Langchain kind of framework that like makes it friendly, builds a DSL on top of things to like interact with between these models to construct something. I, I'm also thinking about membrane. I've not used membrane, but just looking at like the readme and how they tell you like how, how to handle these things. Chances are you might actually have to use membrane alongside of these things anyway, just to get an audio file and understand all that kind of stuff, chunk it, right? And not just audio, but video too. You got media involved. But Membrane is also trying to be a framework that allows you to plug these workflows in together so that they can produce like a, a an easier result at the end, right? So that, but for AI. Another feature that Elixir has is NX, right? So as NX continues to grow, model support grows. And if I have access to hardware like GPUs where I can have accelerated performance, then certain functions might be done on my own server as opposed to calling out to these other services that are doing it for me and I'm paying them to do that service, right? So like you have a service that you can pay for that will do Whisper. Like that's all the JS people. That's what they're doing. They're having someone else do the Whisper model part for them that does the speech to text. It's like, well, I could do that part on my server. That would be interesting. You know, we've been talking about like these decision trees, right? And these expert systems. What if you could make some of that available to to chat GPT, where it's doing some of that all locally on your machine. And it's just deciding when is it appropriate to call this? And how do I interpret what you gave me back? Things like that could be really interesting. Yeah, I am fascinated by the decision tree stuff. I mentioned it in an earlier episode that like, yeah, there's there's specific like domains where AI is really interesting, like whisper. That's really interesting because you transcribing text has been you know, wishy-washy at best. Now it seems to be a pretty good thanks to this, but outside of like specific domains, a decision tree is, is fairly generic enough that could be really interesting for a broad business set of problems. I find that like pretty fascinating. I, I'm going to have to dive into that, but I am not nearly academic enough to understand what the heck these things are actually doing underneath the covers. <laughs> this is still so pretty foreign to me. That's what I've been thinking about and playing with and working on. Let's hear from you, David. What are you up to? What's going on? What's changed in your life? Yeah, lots of change. Last year, I wouldn't have uh, anticipated any of this. So a quick recap, and so, some of it's personal, so maybe you care or not, but to the listener here, right? I've been laid off twice <laughs> in the past year, which is like a, a bummer. But I have uh, found myself at a really cool place now called D-Scout, uh, principal engineer. So that's that's fantastic. Like uh, it, it seems to like match up with with my interests and the culture like really well. So quite a risk to get there. And by risk, I mean, I didn't know what I was getting myself into <laughs> So uh, a step into the unknown that's paying off so far. Pretty great. Oh, and I moved, moved from North Carolina to Florida for a variety of reasons. I won't go into here, but so everything that's, that could have changed, like changed. And I still, I still have like a, she just turned one year old. So I went from, one kiddo to two kiddos uh, to one of them that couldn't move, right? A toddler, right? A baby. And, and now she can like move and run everywhere and grab everything and put everything <laughs> into her mouth. So it's like everything is just chaotic now. All parents out there are, are just like saying amen right now, I'm sure. And then when you're in the middle of moving and every and nothing is childproofed when you're in the middle of moving. <laughs> yeah, nothing. Nothing is childproof. I'm still sitting in an office with boxes. And anyway, everything is just not where it should be. 
<laughs> that I didn't have a job for for some of that and stress levels were high. All that to say is that let's say last year, last year I had a pretty good pretty good determination to write a safe ecto like or a ecto in production book. I've made like zero progress on that because of all the life things I just talked about. <laughs> Some of the early efforts in that it actually is on the Fly.io blog. So there's a like a four-part series, Safecto Migrations. There's some recipes on there. There's a Git repo that uh, keeps it fresh. That was like the beginnings of a Ecto and Productions book that I still want to develop. All that's just on hold because life is crazy. But getting I'm getting more stable now. It's getting more of a rhythm. Uh, kiddos are getting you know back into some preschools and that's going to be good. And now that I'm working at DScout, Parker Selbert works at DScout as well. So I'm a little bit closer to the creator of, of Oban, which is pretty cool. Uh, Parker's a great, great guy. But naturally, Oban has been in my mind more. And I've, I've used Oban a, a lot um, even before working at DScout. There was an idea that I floated at ElixirConf 2022 just last year. I, I asked to be nerd sniped on this, and I have not been yet. <laughs> Maybe somebody's still thinking about it, but I, I'm getting closer to doing something about this. The idea is there is a gap in managing DML, data manipulation. Well, it's not a language, I guess. I don't really care about the language part, but it's a it, the data manipulation part. So Ecto has a wonderful framework for just doing migrations, right? And, and changing your schemas. That's really straightforward. There are some pitfalls, right? Those are pretty well handled though. Like there's a good framework for that. You run your migration, you change your schema, you're done. But I think there's a pretty big gap, not to Ecto's fault. This is just a different use case for changing big data. Doesn't even have to be big. Just just changing a lot of data, more than you're used to, more than you feel is safe. And I, I think there is a, a an opportunity for there to be a good system built around managing these big data manipulations in your in your application. I still haven't solidified where that should be coded. Right now, it's easy for me to just put it in my app, right? But that's not, that's in my app that can't, you can't use that. And I want this to be something that's portable, right? Because this, this is kind of applicable to a lot of folks. All right. So I've given you a lot of context here. I, I want a, a DML system. I want it to work with Ecto. I've been working with Oban a lot and I'm starting to think that there might be an opportunity here. I don't know, maybe not to work with Oban to help with the idea of, of changing a lot of data, right? Open has batching. Open Pro has workflowing in there, flowing in the sense of you need a sequence of events to happen for a job to complete, right? So you can set conditions, like only run this job if the previous one was successful or something like that in this workflow. But it, does, but it also has batching in there, which is you know, a fairly simple concept to grasp, right? I, I, I have 100,000 things I need to to, to change, let's batch them in a smart way into like batches of 500 or something instead of one by one or all 100,000. So I wonder if there is an opportunity here for, you know, there to be something like an open migrations thing. Total speculation. You know, no, don't, don't even think for a moment that because I, I work closer to Parker, that means that this is happening, right? He, he doesn't, he probably hasn't thought about this. You know, we haven't talked about it. There's, there's no, no plans here, but I'm getting, I'm getting closer to that. Cause I think there's some opportunities coming up where I think I, I can spend some time on that. I'm still noodling on it. I haven't actually laid down any code, but I think I'm getting there one more time. It's more simple, a migration system for managing big data changes and having like a UI so you can see it, you can schedule it, you can dry run it, dry run to see like what the impacts are. You can measure it without 
having the actual effects in there. Focusing first on data manipulation, secondary focus on just queuing up a, a task to emit side effects or something, something along those lines. I love the idea of the dry run aspect, but having a UI on it too. Like in the past, when I've been at companies, when we've ever done those big data migrations, you do have to do the dry run of if nothing else, you're doing it locally or on a staging database or something like that. Because once you actually hit real user data and they have some weird condition you did not anticipate, it's going to it's gonna blow up. Happens every time. <laughs> yeah. How do I recover from that? And then how do I know that I need to redo that one and I don't need to redo the thousand that have already happened? You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. E- exactly. Yeah. And so I, I had some inspiration during my time at Stripe. Um, Stripe does it differently. They had their own infrastructure, their own way of doing things. They leveraged Kafka to emit events, basically. You would query the data set that you're targeting here. And then that query would have like an ID on it. So they would kind of persist that little data set in a different database of sorts. Think of it as like a temporary table or something. And so when you wanted to run a migration, they called it migration. When you wanted to run that migration, you would give it that ID of that data set. It would go fetch that data set and then it would go emit for every row in there. You know, the, here's, here's my row of data. You would code commit a quote migration, which would just be your custom logic in there, right? And it would receive one of those items and you just act upon those items or a batch of items. I can't remember which, probably a batch of items. It was up to you to implement the dry run part of it. And so if you're thinking about a database oriented change, do the database thing, but roll it back. That's, that's all you got to do. So it's not actually committed. And then you have a, a fair assessment of like the, the load that it'll do. You can, you go through as much of the actual logic as you can. All right. So there's the dry run. The actual run wouldn't do that. Right. It would actually commit it. It would be logged. There would be telemetry on that and it would be shoved into a, an artifact CSV at the end of the, the whole cycle. Right. So all, once all the batches have completed, you'd have this artifact of, of changes. That's the kind of system, you know, I, even before joining Stripe, I was like, I need to build this thing. And then I, I came to Stripe and I was like, oh, it, it, it's here. It's just very complicated with their insane uh, infrastructure, <laughs> but it's here and it's totally coupled to their, to their logic, right? Like there's no chance that that can get pulled out. And I would, so I would like to build a, a, a sense of that outside of, uh, in Ecto, in Elixir land and all, all that stuff. And I think there's a good opportunity there for, for open to be a part of that too, or at least to be a backend for powering that. That could be interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. And you mentioned that like, you're just kind of still noodling on this. And really, I think that's some of the most important work, right? It's just like trying to work through the idea, the concept. What is it? How would that work? Like we talked with Stephen Bussey, and he was talking about how he'd kind of been noodling on this idea about skyscrapers versus cities and what that means and how to explain that before actually turning that into something that he's trying to teach. I don't want you to feel bad that you're still thinking about it because <laughs> that's important work, the thinking part. <laughs> you know, that's part of my my role now as a principal engineer. I think principals, that's their value, I think, is that they have to noodle on things in advance. It's the antithesis of just getting into the code and seeing what happens and throwing it, you know, throwing it at the wall. It's it's the prior planning. I think that can help make make things make projects successful and i I think that's what principals help do is they coordinate a lot of that stuff they they architect it before they start building uh, all that kind of like forethought 
So yeah, uh, I, a year ago, I, Oban was not in my mind at all for for this. It was it was Broadway, and I still think Broadway has a good part. But like Broadway would be the orchestrator for consuming those messages, and Broadway already has adapters for different message bus systems like SQS and uh, Kafka and RabbitMQ, right? Which is like a natural fit. So like it's already adaptable at that point, right? And maybe I can fit Oban in, into there too for a system that doesn't have any of those in there. You just have Oban. That could be like your your way of batching and emitting those kinds of uh, data changes through your through your system. But yeah, I, I'm pretty excited about it. Now it's still a little bit of ways, and I'm not doing conference driven development this time around. <laughs> <laughs> There's not going to be anything at a, at ElixirConf 2023 uh, about this. I'm particularly excited about it, and I'm hoping that I can get back into a rhythm to start writing more of that uh, Ecto and production book too. I still have a site. There's still an email list on there, but it's still dead. <laughs> So what I heard is you have this interesting idea that actually would impact a lot of companies and businesses who are, have this problem, and you're asking to be nerd sniped. So there's your assignment, dear listener. The request is still out there. Nerd snipe me, please. Maybe what we're both asking for is like, hey, we have these really big ideas. Who's interested <laughs> in doing something like this that would like to work on this with us? <laughs> and, and has the time. That's, that's the clincher. Right, yeah. yeah. Well, I think we've used up our time. And it's probably a good place to end it. Yep. So if you want to get in touch with us, we have links in the show notes on how you can find us both on Twitter and Fediverse and, you know, wherever. So <laughs> I'm on Blue Sky now, if that matters, if anyone's out there. <laughs> it's like speaking into the void. I don't actually speak there in any way. <laughs> this, whole, this whole social universe is so messed up now. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a, not a fan. <laughs> But we'd love to hear from you, dear listener, if you have some feedback, if you have some ideas, or something we've said here has sparked you and given you an idea to do something of your own. We'd love to hear about that too. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.